Chapter 9 Mrs. Manners was still abed when her daughter came to see her. She lay in the great chamber that gave upon the gallery above the hall whence, on either side, she could hear whether or no the maids were at their business, which was a comfort to her, if a discomfort to them. And now that her lord was in Derby, she lay here all alone. The first that she knew of her daughter's coming was a light in her eyes, and the next was a face, as of a stranger, looking at her with great eyes, exalted by joy and pain. The light held below cast shadows upwards from the chin and cheek, and the eyes shone in the hollows. Then, as she sat up, she saw that it was her daughter, and that the maid held a paper in her hands. She was in her night linen, and a wrap lay over her shoulders and shrouded her hair. "'He is to be a priest,' she whispered sharply. "'Thank our Lord with me, and, and God have mercy on me.' Then Marjorie was on her knees by the bedside, sobbing so that the curtains shook. The mother got it all out of her presently, the tale of the girl's heart torn two ways at once. On the one side there was her human love for the lad who had wooed her, as hot as fire and as pure— and on the other that keen romance that had made her pray that he might be a priest. This second desire had come to her, as sharp as a voice that calls, when she had heard the apostasy of his father. It had seemed to her the repost that God made to the assault upon his honor. The father would no longer be his worshipper, then let the son be his priest, and so the balance be restored. And so the maid had striven with the two loves that, for once, would not agree together, as did the man in the Gospels who wished to go and bury his father, and afterwards to follow his Savior. She had not dared to say a word to the lad of anything of this, lest it should be her will, and not God's, that should govern him, for she knew very well what a power she had over him. But she had prayed God, and begged Robin to pray too, and to listen to his voice. And now she had her way, and her heart was broken with it. She said, And when I think, she wailed across her mother's knees, of what it is to be a priest, and of the life that he will lead, and of the death that he may die, and it is I, I who will have sent him to it, mother... Mrs. Manners was bethinking herself of a cordial just then, and how she knew old Anne would be coming presently, and was listening with but half an ear. "'It's not you, my dear,' she said, patting the head beneath her hands. The wrap was fallen off, and the maid's long hair was all over her shoulders. "'But our Lord will take care of him, will he not, and not suffer—' Mrs. Manners fell to patting her head again. "'And who brought the message?' she asked. Mrs. Manners was one of those experienced persons who are fully persuaded that youth is a disease that must be borne with patiently. Time indeed will cure it, Yet until the cure is complete, elders must bear it as well as they can and not seem to pay too much attention to it. A rigorous and prudent diet, long hours of sleep, plenty of occupation, these are the remedies for the fever. So while Marjorie first began to read the lad's letter, and then, breaking down altogether, thrust it into her mother's hand, Mrs. Manners was searching her memory as to whether any imprudence the day before in food or behavior could be the cause of this crisis. Love between boys and girls was common enough. She herself twenty years ago had suffered from the sickness when young John had come wooing her. Yet a love that could thrust from it that which it loved was beyond her altogether. Either Marjorie loved the lad or she did not, and if she loved him, why did she pray that he might be a priest? That was foolishness, since priesthood was a bar to marriage. She began to conclude that Marjorie did not love him. It had been but a romantic fancy, and she was encouraged by the thought. Madge, she began when she had read through the confused line or two in the half-boyish, half-clerkly hand of Robin scribbled and dispatched by the hands of Dick scarcely two hours ago. Madge. She was about to say something sensible when the maid interrupted her again. And it is I who have brought it all on him, she wailed. If it had not been for me... Her mother laid a firm hand on her daughter's mouth. It was not often that she felt the superior of the two, yet here was a time plain enough when maturity and experience must take the reins. Madge, she said, it is plain you do not love him, or you never... The maid started back, her eyes ablaze. Not love him? Why? That you do not love him truly, or you would never have wished this for him. Now listen to me. She raised an admonitory finger, complacent at last. But her speech was not to be made at that time, for her daughter swiftly rose to her feet, controlled at last by the shock of astonishment. Then I do not think you know what love is, 
she said softly. To love is to wish the other's highest good, as I understand it. Mrs. Manners compressed her lips as might a prophetess before a prediction, but her daughter was beforehand with her again. That is the love of a Christian, at least, she said. Then she stooped, took the letter from her mother's knees, and went out. Mrs. Manners sat for a moment as her daughter left her. Then she understood that her hour of superiority was gone with Marjorie's hour of weakness, and she emitted a short laugh as she took her place again behind the child she had borne. It was a strange time that Marjorie had until two days later when Robin came and told her all and how it had fallen out. For now, it seemed, she walked on air, now in shoes of lead. When she was at her prayers, which was pretty often just now, and at other times when the air lightened suddenly about her and the burdens of earth were lifted as if another hand were put to them, at those times which every interior soul experiences in a period of stress, why, then all was glory, and she saw Robin as transfigured, and herself beneath him all but adoring. Little visions came and went before her imagination. Robin riding like some knight on an adventure to do Christ's work. Robin at the altar in his vestments. Robin absolving penitence. All in a rosy light of faith and romance. She saw him even on the scaffold, undaunted and resolute, with God's light on his face, and the crowd awed beneath him. She saw his soul entering heaven, with all the harps ringing to meet him, and eternity begun. And then, at other times, when the heaviness came down on her, as clouds upon the Derbyshire hills, she understood nothing but that she had lost him, that he was not to be hers, but another's that a loveless and empty life lay before her, and a womanhood that was without its fruition. And it was this latter mood that fell on her, swift and entire, when, looking out from her window a little before dinner time, she saw suddenly his hat and Cecily's head jerking up the steep path that led to the house. She fell on her knees by her bedside. Jesu, she cried. Jesu, give me the strength to meet him. Mrs. Manners, too, hearing the horse's footsteps on the pavement a minute later, and Marjorie's steps going downstairs, also looked forth and saw him dismounting. She was a prudent woman, and did not stir a finger till she heard the bell ringing in the court for the dinner to be served. They would have time, so she thought, to arrange their attitudes. And indeed she was right, for it was two quiet enough persons who met her as she came down into the hall. Robin flushed with riding, yet wholly under his own command, bright-eyed and resolute and natural. Indeed it seemed to her that he was more of a man than she had thought him. And her daughter, too, was still and strong, a trifle paler than she should be, yet that was to be expected. At dinner, of course, nothing could be spoken of but the most ordinary affairs, in such speaking, that is, as there was. It was not till they had gone out into the walled garden and sat them down, all three of them, on the long garden seat beside the rose beds, that a word was said on these new matters. There was silence as they walked there, and silence as they sat down. "'Tell her, Robin,' said the maid. It appeared that matters were not yet as wholly decided as Mrs. Manners had thought. Indeed, it seemed to her that they were not decided at all. Robin had written to Dr. Allen, and had found means to convey his letter to Mr. Simpson, who, in his turn, had undertaken to forward it at least as far as to London. And there it would await a messenger to Douay. It might be a month before it would reach Douay, and it might be three or four months or even more before an answer could come back. Next, the squire had taken a course of action which, plainly, had disconcerted the lad, though it had had its conveniences too. For, instead of increasing the old man's fury, the news his son had given him had had a contrary effect. He had seemed all shaken, said Robin. He had spoken to him quietly, holding in the anger that surely must be there, the boy thought, without difficulty. And the upshot of it was that no more had been said as to Robin's leaving Matstead for the present, not one word even about the fines. It seemed almost as if the old man had been trying how far he could push his son, and had recoiled when he had learned the effect of his pushing. I think he is frightened, said the lad gravely. He had never thought that I could be a priest. Mrs. Manners considered this in silence. And it may be autumn before Dr. Allen's letter comes back? she asked presently. Robin said that that was so. It may even be till winter, he said. The talk among the priests, Mr. Simpson tells me, is all about the removal from Douay. It may be made at any time, and who knows where they will go. Mrs. Manners glanced across at her daughter, who sat motionless, with her hands clasped. Then she was filled with the spirit of reasonableness and sense. 
All this tragic to-do about what might never happen seemed to her the height of folly. Nay, then, she burst out, then nothing may happen after all. Dr. Allen may say no, the letter may never get to him. It may be that you will forget all this in a month or two. Robin turned his face slowly towards her, and she saw that she had spoken at random. Again, too, it struck her attention that his manner seemed a little changed. It was graver than that to which she was accustomed. I shall not forget it, he said softly, and Dr. Allen will get the letter, or if not he, someone else. There was silence again, but Mrs. Manners heard her daughter draw a long breath. It was an hour later that Marjorie found herself able to say that which she knew must be said. Robin had lingered on, talking of this and that, though he had said half a dozen times that he must be getting homewards, and at last when he rose, Mistress Manners, who was still wholly misconceiving the situation, after the manner of a sensible middle-aged folk, archly and tactfully took her leave and disappeared down towards the house, advancing some domestic reason for her departure. Robin sighed and turned to the girl, who still sat quiet. But as he turned, she lifted her eyes to him swiftly. "'Goodbye, Mr. Robin,' she said. He pulled himself up. "'You understand, do you not?' she said. "'You are to be a priest. You must remember that always. You are a sort of student already.' She could see him pale a little, his lips tightened. For a moment he said nothing. He was taken wholly aback. "'Then I am not to come here again?' Marjorie stood up. She showed no sign of the fierce self-control she was using. "'Why, yes,' she said. "'Come as you would come to any Catholic neighbors. But no more than that. You are to be a priest.' The spring air was full of softness and sweetness as they stood there. On the trees behind them and on the roses in front the budding leaves had burst into delicate green, and the copses on all sides sounded with the twittering of birds. The whole world, it seemed, was kindling with love and freshness. Yet these two had to stand here and be cold one to the other. He was to be a priest. That must not be forgotten. And they must meet no more on the old footing. That was gone. Already he stood among the Levites, at least in intention, and the Lord alone was to be the portion of his inheritance and his cup. It was a minute before either of them moved, and during that minute the maid felt her courage ebb from her like an outgoing tide, leaving a desolation behind. It was all that she could do not to cry out. But when at last Robin made a movement and she had to look him in the face, what she saw there braced and strengthened her. "'You are right, Mistress Marjorie,' he said both gravely and kindly. "'I will bid you good day and be getting to my horse.' He kissed her gently, as the manner was, and went down the path alone. End of Part 1